are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? That's our theme verse from Genesis chapter 16, verse 13 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Associate Care Pastor Josh Masters continues our series called Encounters with Christ. Today's episode, A Skeptical Encounter, Nathaniel. This week's spiritual practice, read Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10 each day this week and ask God what he wants you to know. Use this time to develop a life of persistent faith. If you want to watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through the message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Encounters of Christ series. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. And now, Josh Masters. He not only knows our name, and he not only knows your name, but he knows everything about you. And he wants to draw you closer to him. That's what we're going to talk about today as we continue our summer series called Encounters with Christ. And each week, we've been looking and will be looking at someone in Scripture who had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. But as J.C. Thompson and I worked together to plan this series, and we, and we planned it together, our prayer and our hope is that each one of us will have a fresh, transforming encounter with Jesus as well. Last week, we talked about the story of Zacchaeus and his encounter with Christ. And this week, we're going to look at Christ's first encounter with Nathaniel, who was one of the early disciples. Now, Nathaniel and Zacchaeus, as you can imagine, probably couldn't be more diametrically opposed in their character, right? Zacchaeus was a scoundrel, not a cool scoundrel like Han Solo. No, he was not a cool scoundrel. He was a despicable, selfish man who worked for the oppressive Roman government. Nathaniel, on the other hand, is a faithful Jewish man who is known for his integrity. In fact, his name even means God has given or a gift of God. That's what his name means. But as different as they are, both Zacchaeus and Nathaniel had life-altering encounters when they met Jesus Christ. Encounters that for both of them challenged their beliefs and transformed their hearts. Now the title of today's message is called A Skeptical Encounter. A Skeptical Encounter. And that's because that pretty much describes Nathaniel when we first meet him in John chapter 1. So you can go ahead and you can swipe or turn to your Bibles to John 1 and we'll start in verse 43. If you're using the Bible that's available here at Brookwood, it's on page 852. If you are in our online campus this morning, welcome. You can just click the Bible tab next to the chat window. And if you're using your device, it's on your device. Um, And as you do that, let me set the scene a little bit. Nathaniel is one of the disciples that isn't discussed very much. He's sort of the Jan Brady of the disciples, where he gets ignored, 
and we don't talk about him. So I'm excited for us to talk and get to know him a little bit this morning. But it's only in the book of John that he is called Nathaniel. Does anyone know what he is called in the other Gospels? What, what was that? Not Nathan. That's what his friends call him, or Nate. It's Bartholomew. Now, Nathaniel is likely his given name, and Bartholomew means son of Tolmai. Bartholomew means son of Tolmai. So that is probably how he's identified, Nathaniel, son of Tolmai, or Bartholomew. And he's one of the first disciples that is called by Jesus Christ. Now, earlier in chapter 1 of the book of John, you know that many people know that the book of John starts with explaining that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, speaking of Jesus Christ. And then it goes into the description of John the Baptist's ministry clearing the way for the Messiah. And then we see a couple of John the Baptist's disciples leave John as they were supposed to do and start following Jesus. One of those men is named Andrew. Andrew runs back to his hometown and tells his brother Simon, and Simon becomes a disciple, and Jesus renames him Peter. Right. So we have the two men that came from John the Baptist, and now we have Peter. So we are at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And we have the first three disciples that have joined Jesus, and that is where we're going to pick up in our text. So just like JC did last week, I want us to read the entire encounter. Let's read the whole thing. It's only nine verses. Let's get the flavor of it, the full context of it, and then we will break it down verse by verse. So starting in verse 43 of chapter 1 of the book of John. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew, in Peter's hometown. So certainly he probably knew Peter and Andrew. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. And as they approached, Jesus said, Now, here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know that about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus asked him, do you believe this? Just because I told you I had seen you under a fig tree, you will see greater things than this. And then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. So at first, Nathaniel is skeptical, right? And there might be things in your own life or in your own faith that you're skeptical about. 
You might have big questions. You might have questions about God. You might have questions about faith. But that is okay. That's okay because what we're going to discover as we walk through this text is this. An encounter with Christ overcomes skepticism. An encounter with Christ overcomes skepticism. That is your first fill-in. And an encounter with Christ in your life will overcome your skepticism. But I want to be very clear, because I don't want to make anyone feel bad about their questions. I want to be very clear. Being skeptical isn't necessarily bad. Being skeptical and having questions is not a bad place to start your journey or to continue your journey. It's not a bad starting point. Because it's very different from being cynical. Being skeptical and being cynical are two very, very different things. I'm going to put the definitions up on the screen for you to look at. Being cynical means being selfishly or callously calculating. Negative or pessimistic. But having skepticism means having a doubting or questioning attitude or a state of mind. And this is an important word, uncertainty. You can't grow in any area of your life until you are ready to admit that you don't already know everything. You have to be able to admit that you are uncertain if you are going to grow. So that's a great place to be. A questioning attitude is much different than a callous heart. If you read through the Gospels, you will see a theme where Jesus responds very differently to the Pharisees and the Sadducees than he does to very similar questions from the disciples or the hurt or the broken. Why? Because the Pharisees were cynical. And they were asking calculating questions for selfish reasons. And Jesus put them in their place every time. But when someone was uncertain, when someone had a sincere question and they longed to understand, Jesus showed compassion. And he addressed them with compassion. Questions are not the problem, it's the heart behind the question. Listen very carefully, Christianity is not a faith where you have to check your brain at the door. And if you are new to Brookwood Church, I want you to hear this, you are welcome here. And your questions are welcome here. God has big shoulders. He can handle your questions. The bigger issue for us is whether we're truly open to hear the answer. So to overcome our skepticism, we have a part to play. We have to do our part. And then Christ has a bigger part to play. So as we walk through this text this morning, we're going to look at two things. This is two. Two things. Two things that we can do to address our questions. 
And then we'll look at two things Christ will do to draw us closer to him in our questions. Let's look at our part first. Look at verse 43 and 45. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, come and follow me. Verse 45. Philip went to look for Nathanael and he told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets were talking about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now these early disciples that we're seeing, these few early disciples that we're seeing, Andrew and, and Peter and now Philip, they're running everywhere they can and they want to share the encounter that they had with Jesus Christ. They're looking for anyone they can tell, their friends, their family, anyone they run into. This is the encounter I had with the Messiah because once you have an encounter with Christ, you can't keep it to yourself. It transforms you. And the change is so overwhelming that you have to share it. You're compelled to share it. You don't know what else to do but share it. Unfortunately, a lot of us forget that feeling. That's why in general, and this has been proven again and again and again, that new believers are much better at sharing the gospel than people who have been sitting in a church for 20 or 30 years. Because we become comfortable in our salvation. We become comfortable being around other Christians instead of being around the broken. But when you experience that encounter, you have an irresistible urge to see that life-changing moment that you just experienced in the lives of other people. And the very difficult truth is that if you are a follower of Christ and you don't feel a consuming compassion for the lost and the hurting and the broken, it probably means it's been too long since you've had a true encounter with Jesus Christ. And that's another reason this summer series is so important. Because if we start to live in a fresh encounter with Jesus, if we start encountering him on a daily basis, then our passions and our compassions for those who don't know him will be rekindled. And our purpose in Christ will be renewed. And we will start telling people about our encounter with Christ. And we'll start going out into the community instead of looking inward. And our community will be transformed. Our purpose in Christ will be rekindled. Philip knows that Nathaniel is a Jew who loves Scripture. He knows Nathaniel is a man who is seeking the one described in the Tanakh, which is the law and the prophets, or what we call the Old Testament. So he runs to Nathaniel and he says, We found him. We found the one that we've been waiting for is Jesus of Nazareth. 
And does Nathaniel say, great, let's go? No. He's skeptical. He's skeptical at first. Verse 46, Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? It's a pretty negative attitude. It's a pretty strong rebuttal. Why is Nathaniel so against Nazareth? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. First, I think it's because most people look down on Nazareth. It was an unimportant little town. Now, the Judeans look down on people like Nathaniel from Galilee. And people like Nathaniel from Galilee made themselves feel better by looking down on the people from Nazareth, which was the most insignificant part of Galilee. Do you see how the domino effect works? Listen very carefully, because this is what's happening in our nation right now. Outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, humanity will always adopt an us versus them mentality. Always. It's everywhere in their culture, and it's everywhere in our culture. Now, I think another reason Nathaniel probably rejected the idea that the Messiah would be coming to them from Nazareth is this. Nazareth is not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned at all in the Jewish scriptures, let alone in reference to the Messiah. So Nathanael is looking for someone born in Bethlehem or someone who came out of Egypt. Of course, he doesn't realize that Jesus has already fulfilled both of those prophecies before he moved to Nazareth. So very important, Nathaniel made an assumption about the Messiah, and he had a prejudice against the people of Nazareth. And the first step I need to take in overcoming my skepticism is that I need to be willing to confront my assumptions and my prejudice. Skepticism is challenged when I confront my assumptions and prejudice. And you might be here saying, and I, I want to have an encounter with God, but I can skip this step because I'm not a prejudiced person. I'm not prejudiced. And I'm not making any assumptions. Listen, that's an assumption based on prejudice. <laughs> So we've got a problem, don't we? See, we have an uncanny ability to recharacterize our assumptions as truth and justify our prejudices as fact. I'm going to say that again. We have the uncanny ability to recharacterize or more bluntly lie to ourselves into believing that our assumptions are true and we justify our prejudices as facts. We can't see past our own broken lens. Our broken lenses don't allow us to see things clearly or how we see other things. So we have to become willing to 
ask God to expose our assumptions and expose our prejudices so that we can see them. Look at this verse. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Lord, point out in me any assumptions or prejudices that I have that offend you. Listen. We need to stop being so concerned with how people in this world are offending us and start being concerned about what's in us that offends God. So Philip says, we found him. We found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's prejudice says, "Mm, no, I don't think so. And how does Philip respond to Nathaniel's skepticism? Does he get frustrated? Nope. Does he take it personally? Nope. Does he try to convince his buddy Nate with a well-constructed argument based on theology books he's read? No. What does he say? Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Man, I wish, I wish we could grab hold of that. I wish we could grab hold of that. Because to be an expert witness for Jesus Christ, you don't have to win an argument. You don't have to convince anyone of anything. We simply invite them. Come and see. I found someone who changed my life. Come and see. And now for Nathaniel, this moment is the test, isn't it? Is he skeptical or is he cynical? Which do you think? He's cynical. I mean, he's skeptical. He's not cynical. I almost changed the whole message there. Like eight people were like, what? No, he's not cynical because he's willing to test his assumptions and examine his prejudice. And we know that because he goes with Philip. He could have said, no, I don't believe you. Get out of here. No, he goes. He goes to investigate. Are we willing to test our assumptions about God and evaluate the prejudices we have toward ourselves and toward other people? We can start that process with the second thing that we do to overcome our skepticism. My skepticism is challenged when I confirm and investigate God's word. When I confirm and investigate God's word. Remember what Philip told Nathaniel. 
He said, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, son of Joseph of Nazareth. Now, as a little sidebar, I just want to say this so that nobody is confused. Joseph is, of course, Jesus' adopted or adoptive earthly father. And that's how he would have been identified. So Philip is not denying the deity of Christ. He's not claiming that Jesus is not the son of God. This is how he would have been known. But when Philip says, this is the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about, he's saying, Nathaniel, we found him. We found the one, the one that fulfills every prophecy that you've been studying, Nathaniel. All the proof that you need is in the scriptures. All the proof that you need is in the scriptures. Come and see. Come and see, Nathaniel. So Nathaniel goes with Philip to see if what he's being told matches up with scripture. Do you know how much more effective the American church could be for the kingdom of God if we could wrap our hands and our heads and our hearts around that truth? I'm not talking about church leadership. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to the body of Christ, not the organization of the church, not the pastors, all of us, the body of Christ. If we were willing to truly hold up the things that we're being told and our assumptions and our prejudices, if we were willing to hold those things up in the light of Scripture to see if they are true and right and just, the churches would be transformed and then our nation would be transformed. But we're more interested in posting our opinion on Facebook than we are seeking the truth. Look at Proverbs 18.2. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. I think about 80% of the American church is here instead of Acts 17.11. See, many times people say that they want to know the truth when what they really want is to decide the truth. Have you ever heard anyone say, I need to speak my truth? Listen, that's a very popular phrase. It's used for empowerment. It's used to teach people how to come out of trauma. It's used to teach people empowerment and counseling. And it is completely unbiblical. You don't get to have your own truth. In fact, using that phrase is one of the best ways to stay in victimhood. Now you do, please hear me. You absolutely get to express how you feel. You absolutely should discuss with people how their actions affect you. And you should share how situations are affecting you and your mental health, but you do not get your own truth. 
We don't get our own truth. There's only one truth, and we need to be willing to seek it out. Nathaniel didn't just take Philip's word for it, but he also didn't reject what he was being taught. He went to investigate if what he was being told was true and if it matched up with Scripture. And that's exactly what we should be doing. That's exactly what we should be doing with everything that we see on the news, everything we read on the internet, and probably most importantly, with everything that we hear in the church. Don't just accept what you're being told. Make sure what you're being taught and what you're being led to is true. Acts 17.11 should be a life verse for every believer. Yes, we love Philippians 4 and Romans 8.28 and Jeremiah 29.11, but the true growth and hope of the church as a body, our life verse should be Acts 17.11 that says, and the people of Berea were more open-minded. Other translations say, were of more noble character than those of Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. Then they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. There are three very important things about this verse. Number one, first, they listened eagerly. They were not cynical and they weren't looking for an argument. They weren't trying to be argumentative. But then number two, they searched the scriptures day and night to be sure that what they were being taught was true. And the third thing about this verse that I think gets lost a lot is that they did it in community. Not coming up with their own truth or their own version of the truth, but seeking the word of God and what the truth is together in community. Some of the best discussions and the deepest growth that has happened in my small group is when someone says, I'm not sure Perry is right about that. And we have to dig into scripture and find out if it's true. And that is not an insult to a pastor. It's one of the greatest compliments you can give them is to say, I stayed up all night to make sure what you were teaching me was true. I got into the word and I checked it out. And as we go through this summer series, don't just blindly accept what JC and I tell you. Go, look for yourself. We invite you. Question. Debate. Look. Come and see. Come and see. And that's exactly what Nathaniel does. So the two things that we can do to challenge our own skepticism is number one, we confront our assumptions and our prejudices. And then number two, we confirm and investigate the word of God. And that doesn't transform us, but it prepares us for the real transformation that Christ does in us and through us when we have an encounter with him. Let's look at the two things that Jesus will do 
Here's the first one. Skepticism is removed, not challenged, is removed when Christ responds to my nature. When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, he will reveal who you are. And it will be life-altering because he knows you better than you do. And you'll suddenly understand who you are when he tells you. It's in a single moment. He will reveal that he knows everything about you. And for some of us, that's scary, but he will still want you. And that's precisely what happened to Nathaniel. Verse 47. As they approached, Jesus said, Now, here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How, how do you know that about me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you. I could see you under the fig trees before Philip found you. I love that they hadn't even arrived yet. It says, as they were approaching. They hadn't even got there. And Jesus Christ, the word of God himself, said, there he is, there's Nathaniel. A true son of Israel. A man of complete integrity. Hi, Nathaniel. Now, what Jesus literally said in Greek, unfortunately, the NLT, they flipped it to make it positive instead of the negative words. But what Jesus literally said in Greek is, indeed, a true Israelite without deceit or guile. Without deceit or guile. And that's important because what Jesus is doing here is he's doing a little play on words. The phrasing that he uses is a play on words that would have made it exactly clear to Nathaniel and Philip what he was saying. He's not only revealing Nathaniel's true character, but he's openly comparing him to Jacob from the Jewish scriptures, who was filled with deceit and guile. And that's not an academic comparison. I think that it hit Nathaniel so hard because not only does Jesus know Nathaniel intimately, he knows Jacob intimately. So with one sentence, Jesus says, I see you. I see you and I know everything about who you are. That's disarming, right? And so Nathaniel says, how, how, how do you know me? How do you know that about me? And Jesus says, I could see you. I saw you under the fig tree before Philip came. So not only did Jesus witness his interaction with Philip without even being there, but he saw what Nathaniel was doing privately before Philip arrived. It says Nathaniel was sitting under a fig tree. And he was. He was literally sitting under a fig tree. But that term in Jewish culture, 
sitting beneath the fig tree, is a euphemism for meditating on the Word of God. Meditating on Scripture. So that's what most scholars agree that he was probably doing. He was sitting beneath the fig tree, meditating on God's Word. So imagine this. Try to, try to see it in 3D in color. Try to see it with, as real people, not just as a story. That Nathaniel is sitting, meditating on the Scriptures. He's meditating on the prophecies of God. And Philip shows up and he says, we found him. We found the Messiah. The one that fulfills all the scriptures that he is sitting there meditating on. Because make no mistake, the entirety of the Old Testament is about Jesus Christ. And then they go together and they find the Messiah. And Jesus tells Nathaniel, I saw you sitting there reflecting on me. And on top of that, I know you, Nathaniel. I see you. So that raises the question, did Philip and Nathaniel find the Messiah or did the Messiah find them? The moment you realize Jesus truly sees you, it changes everything. And it's the reason that I'm here. This is the reason that I'm here. I've shared with some of you in my messages in the past about my life of Jonah and running away from God and running away from what he had called me to do even though I was very clear on what he wanted me to do. And I think that it's easy to read stories like this and say, well, Nathaniel is standing right in front of Jesus. That doesn't happen that way today. Yes, it does. I'm here to tell you, it does. And Jesus spoke one sentence to me about who I am. And it changed the course of my life forever. And he can change your life with one sentence. He wants to tell you who you are because many of us are wrong about who we are. And we allow the enemy and other people to beat us up, but with a sentence, Jesus can clarify who you are and the purpose that he has for your life. And when it happens, you can't, you can't describe it. I'm, this isn't in my notes. I'm, not, I'm struggling with words to describe it because there's no words to describe it. You can't describe it. And it happens instantaneously. You are changed. One thing that you're going to notice as we walk through this series all summer is that all these life-changing encounters, they don't take very long. When you encounter Christ, he doesn't have to convince you. You see him and he sees you and that's all it takes. Zacchaeus. 
come down. I see you. And after a meal, he's never the same. Nathaniel, I see you. One sentence, and his life has changed forever. God sees you. God sees you. What's he trying to say to you right now? What, what's the one sentence? Once you experience the God of the universe looking into your soul, everything you see looks different. In her darkest moment, Hagar had an encounter with God. And it changed how she viewed herself. It changed how she viewed her circumstances. It changed how she viewed God. And she gave God a new name. It's the theme verse at the top of your outline. Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. But catch this. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? And that's the second thing Christ does in our encounter with him. He not only responds to who we are, but he reveals who he is. Skepticism is removed when Christ reveals his nature. What was Nathaniel's response to realizing that the God of the universe who knew him so intimately and completely had seen him? Verse 49. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. When Christ responded to who Nathanael was, it revealed who Christ was. Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And in this statement, Nathanael submits fully and completely to the God who sees him. It says, Rabbi. What does that mean? Teacher. He says, you are my teacher. You are my God. And you are my king. And in response to his submission... Jesus more fully reveals his nature. And when we submit to him, and the more we submit to him, the more he will reveal his nature to you. He says, do you believe this just because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? Well, you're going to see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open up and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. He says, the thing that you think is the greatest miracle you've ever seen is nothing compared to what I'm going to show you when you follow me. You're going to see me open up the heavens. 
And in that last sentence, that last sentence that seems so strange to us about there being a staircase and the angels going up and down on the Son of Man, that, that seems strange to us, but it was not strange to them. They knew exactly what he was talking about. And he was telling them exactly who he is. He's telling them that he is the final fulfillment of a vision Jacob experienced in the Jewish, Jewish scriptures. It's in Genesis. As Jacob slept, he dreamed of a stairway, literally it says ladder, that's where we get the term Jacob's ladder. He dreamt of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. And Jesus is saying, it's me. I'm the fulfillment of the scriptures you love, Nathaniel. I'm, I'm the stairway. I'm, I'm the ladder. I'm the only bridge between man and God. I'm the only way. It's me. And from that short encounter, nine verses, Nathaniel has changed forever. His skepticism, catch this, his skepticism is replaced with unyielding, unwavering faith for the rest of his life. And we don't know much for sure. We don't know for sure what happened to Nathaniel after Jesus was crucified and then was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. We don't know for sure, but 4th and 5th century historians wrote that Nathaniel Bartholomew brought the gospel to India and then to Armenia where he was killed for his faith. And he was either beheaded or skinned alive. And most of the accounts, most of the historical accounts and traditions say the latter, that he was skinned alive. And I know that that's graphic, but I think it's important. It's important to understand that a single encounter with Jesus Christ transformed Nathaniel from a skeptic. He was transformed from being a skeptic to someone so sure about the glory of Jesus Christ that he'd rather be skinned alive than renounce the name of Jesus. And I hope that our lives don't come to that, but how would it change your life if you could be that sure? if you could be that sure about Jesus Christ. If your skepticism could be replaced with unwavering, unyielding, unstoppable faith. It just takes one encounter with Jesus Christ. Isn't it worth investigating? Isn't it worth seeing if there is a Messiah 
who knows you and desperately wants you to know him. You can be sure. You can be sure. Come out from under your fig tree, believers. Come down from your sycamore tree if you're not. Maybe you still have questions. That's okay. Nathaniel had questions. God's not offended by your questions, and we want to walk with you. We want to walk with you through your questions. So after we pray in a minute, we're going to have pastors and care volunteers down front and in the care connection room, and they will pray with you. They will walk through your questions with you. If you are in the online campus, I don't want you to miss out on this either. In just a moment, a link box is going to come up in your chat window. And if you have questions or you need prayer or you need hope, I want you to click on that and a pastor will call you today. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel like no one sees you. It's not true. He sees you and he wants you. He wants you to know who he is. Come and see. Come and see. Father God, you are a God of hope and you are a God of healing and restoration. And even though you see the darkest parts of us, you still want us, you still call us, you still want to transform us, and that makes you a God who is worthy of praise. So we praise your name, we praise who you are, and ask that you allow us to see you the way you see us. Lord, in this quiet, I pray that for each one of us, you would speak that word that allows us to know that you know us fully. May you be glorified in our lives. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is from Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.